You're listening to Vince Tracy and Eric Malpas talking football. A very good day. Welcome, everybody. It is hopefully going to be the first of many from the new studio. And uh, I've got to tell you, it's absolutely roasting hot on the Costa Blanca. We're not far from Denia, if that's the place that you can spot on the map. Um, And basically, uh, it is a very, very hot part of the year. We do expect this. We've had problems with the Internet. We've had problems with power cuts we've had problems moving the house we've had problems with the studio but let's see if eric is there and do we have liftoff so first of all eric are you there how are you and how are you coping with the heat i'm very well and like everybody else it's hard work isn't it? you know coping with the heat but we come to spain for the heat and the good weather but sometimes it's this time of the year where you just have to suffer a bit you know when it gets a little bit too hot you'll see my cat's just flat out on the floor you know so well my cat uh, had his first night out in denia last night and uh, basically um oh. he came back so you know i can't really ask for much more right eric uh, we've got so many things to discuss and obviously well we're going to ask you first and foremost to plough into uh, Spain because obviously Spain are now uh, hours away from taking on Italy in the first of the semi-finals of the Europa 2020. Um, it's been fascinating. It's been exciting. It's been um, turbulent at times. First of all, what have you made of it? And then we'll come to Spain specifically. So. Are you enjoying all the games and the excitement? Um, we'll come to the COVID-related crowds, etc. later, but have you enjoyed the games? Yeah. Basically, all the games on the opposite side of England, you know, have all been good games. I don't really realise that, but on the English side, where our side, other than, say, possibly German game, it, it, you know, you've not really excited me those games. But watching the other matches, like when... Spain, Portugal, all these other games which have been, even France, they've been really good games. And particularly that, was it last week? Two games which finished 3 all, which were so unbelievable. I just watched one, the early one, 3 all, So I thought the French one against the Swiss would be pretty much a formality for the French. And that finished up 3 all after them being 3-1 up, the French, and losing 1-0. What a game, what, what two matches on the trial. I've never, not seen football like that for a long time. No, oh, uh, it's great to hear the enthusiasm in your voice because um, we've been sort of trying to move and trying to get the games as well. And if we go first of all to the Portugal game, um, I mean, that was uh, very exciting. Obviously, the world knows Ronaldo and the world knows that he's sort of He's still, I think, slightly ahead on the golden boot, but I think that will probably finish. But um, when they played Germany and they were beaten 2-4, that was sort of a, a little bit of a, a clue as to just how far they would go. You, would you agree with that? Well, excuse me. Uh, I felt that game when he beat... Uh, for some reason, Portugal didn't turn up, but, you know... I, I was expecting a better performance from Portugal because, as you know, before the tournament started, my tip was Portugal and uh, Benfica, not Benfica, Portugal and uh, Belgium to get to the final. And funny enough, they both met one another, didn't they? And so I knew I was going to have a knockout there one way or the other. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, uh, as I say, all, all the games on one side have been excellent where there's um, um, I, I don't want to get going about England at the moment, but just a bit disappointing. Everybody's still up here. I know it's great to win, but the way we're winning, it's kind of, it's not my cup of tea. I'm wrong. I mean, I'm wrong. I don't know. Everybody says the result's more, more important than the performance. Not in my eyes. Well, I've got to say, um, against Scotland, we were dreadful. We, we really Ooh. were just about as awful as awful could be. Uh, but then again, I mean, you've got to play the, the opposition and whoever turns up and plays against you probably gives you as much as uh, you can make of it yourself so if we discount that one um i thought then when we played croatia uh, that was 
yeah, that was a, a competent win. But, you know, you began to think, well, hang on, there's nothing much going on here. So really, you know, are we going to get as excited as we want to? Um, so then, of course, um, when we eventually get cracking, um, it was quite nice to see us playing against the uh, Ukraine in that fixture. I did think that we started to look like a half-decent team. Um, now, you're making it sound like maybe you didn't agree with that. H how did you think the Ukraine game went? Were you not as excited as maybe the, 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 the British public or the English public seemed to be making it? Well, it's one of them situations whereby were England that good or Ukraine that bad, you know, and you've got to make a decision yourself. And uh, from what I saw, I, it was just a, a stroll for England. I think they won the game very easily. And never, I know it's only 1 0 at half time, and they, they were just coming back into the game. But after half time, and England scored the second goal, they, their heads went down and they just caved in at Ukraine. A bit of a shame, really, because they, they put up a bit of a fight in for the start. But overall, I can't make my mind up whether they were that bad or England that good, and it's a difficult one. We'll know a little bit more tomorrow because, uh, because Denmark should give us a little bit better of a game than Ukraine did. And only, I mean, don't forget, Scotland, they give us a game and they never even qualified. You know, I, I don't know. I, I can't jump on the bandwagon and say England are doing a great job. It's not my cup of tea, that, because... If they were playing attacking football, I could go for it. I mean, all this thing now where you've not conceded a goal, which is good, by the way, but you're not conceding a goal it's because you're playing the defensive lineup. Too many midfield in front of the back four. You know, to me, yeah. it don't make sense when we've got the best forwards now we'll ever have. You know, there's so much we have to, which we could put going forward now. People like Grealish not playing, Foden not playing, and now they just brought Sanchez back. You know, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's just a bit of a. Well, I, I. I'm not on the. I'm not on the bandwagon saying England are going to be great because I. I just think we've not played anybody of uh, decent. I mean, you could say Germany, but not long ago that Germany got hammered by Spain five one. So, you know, these things which happen. Uh, I think it's been overlooked the fact that England's had a nice easy ride, and everybody on the other side have had all tough games at all days on the other side. There've been tough matches all the way through. But that's how it goes. They're just and don't forget the four teams in the semi-final were all the four teams who played all the games at home. Ah, know, right, okay. In the first round, I hadn't picked that one up. Um, what I did have was I, I'd written a, uh, a question that I was going to put to you, and I was going to ask you whether Gareth Southgate is lucky or whether he's a brilliant tactician. Now, uh, you saw the reaction of the crowd when Graylish came on. Uh, basically, I didn't think we ever looked like scoring um, in the previous game. And really, when we were playing against Germany, I didn't think till Graylish came on, I didn't think we were going to score. It just didn't seem to be happening. Um, he came on, had a hand in both games, uh, sorry, in both goals, and we started to look like a decent team. And, you know, uh, I was with uh, the, the noisiest small party that you could really ever talk about. And, um, I mean, I, I just really just have a bit of fun with the, with the, with the people I was with. I took on the, um, the, the... I was backing the Germans to win. So, you know, every time England did something well, I'd go, Dash, Hund, um, that wasn't good. Come on, you boys. You can do better than this. You know, and I was doing all this stupid stuff. And they were, the, the lads were going absolutely, you know, uh, mad for the fact that England had beaten Germany. Now, the thing was, you see, I started thinking about this, Eric, because... You and I come from a different time. We come from a time when we expect our teams to do well because basically we know how much money they earn and we know how much the teams like um, the, the team that, that won the World Cup in 66. Although having said that, we always needed to keep a perspective that again, they played at home and I think you qualify by the quarterfinals, I think, when you're playing in the World Cup at home or something like that. It, it, you're halfway there, aren't you, by being the host nation? Yeah, I, my honest opinion over the World Cup things, 
Uh, I thought the 1970 team was better than the 1966 team in England. Do you know what I mean? Yet they went out 3 2 to the Germans. But that was, I think, it was in South America, Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, to me, when you go abroad, like well, to South American countries, that really is a good test for you, isn't it? Yeah. In this case, we, we you know, only in Euros, Europe's like. It's, uh, it's just been a, a little bit of a gift for England to play all the games at home, with the exception of last weekend when they had to go to uh, Rome to play their game. Just like the Italians are playing tonight against Spain in, at Wembley. You know, it's, uh, we, we're at home again. We've got two games where we could be at home. And if we don't win it now, we'll never win it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, look, um, I, I'm a little bit uh, foggy with the politics. All the games were set up before the tournament, weren't they? Uh, so yeah. am I right in getting that one uh, out of the way? All the, all the venues and everything were already arranged before the tournament began? Yeah, but you've got to remember the fact that, like, poor old Wales, they played two games in Azerbaijan and the other one in Rome. You know, they didn't, never even got anywhere near, you know, their own, their own ground at Cardiff. Like. It's just a, it's a bit of a mixed-match competition, I think, and I don't think they'll ever do it again, play it in different countries, because it loses a, a lot of the, uh, how can I say, the sparkle. You know, to actually... Obviously, the host country, wherever it's going to be held, are always in the, one of being one of the favourites to win it. I mean, I think Germans had about four, four tournaments at their place. England, this is only our second one in the European, Europe's playing Euros. And uh, I don't think they'll ever do this again, because I think it's been a little bit unjust that Denmark should play four games at home, uh, Italy play four games at home, England four games at home, they played up in Seville, and they were all played at home. You know, it, it spoiled it a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah. Rather than being, you know, when we, when we go into a competition, and there's only one team favourite, so that'll be the team that's usually got the, the draw in their place, you know, their country. So uh, it's just been a bit of a mixed match, you know. Like, it, I, think, I think Denmark last week played at Azerbaijan, and it was record heat, you know, over there. Whereas other teams like were playing in, well, England playing in England, and there's not, not nothing like the weather they're getting there. And just like, everybody's been playing in different climates, and it, it doesn't seem to have been fair to me. Whereas if they're all playing in one country, it's all a lot better and fairer, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, a draw we can't do out about because of, because of the fact that all right, all the top teams are in the opposite end of England's draw. That's not our fault. It's just the way it works. You know, teams that get through yeah. first or second, whatever. Okay, now I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not really sure whether you have become a brilliant tactician yourself because the question I did ask you <laughs> was whether Gareth Southgate is a brilliant tactician or is he just lucky because as I say when you know when Graylish came on he had a hand in both of the the goals um, so was he just lucky or did he really think well you know if I keep Graylish back. He's going to be something that the other teams won't know about. Well, he's looking in a lot of ways because of the fact that in both in World Cup and this Euros, we've had a good draw on both occasions. Easy passes to the semi-final, and he's also lucky that he's now got the best bunch of players I can ever remember England having. You know, where it's in depth, if you understand what I mean. Yeah. And if somebody drops out of the team and he puts somebody in, he's just as good, in my opinion. When you think of Phil Foden's not played since the first two games, and he, he, he rested him for one of the games because he got a booking, and then he's not had a looking since then, Foden. And, and he's one of the best players. I mean, everybody's going on about Mason Mountain and, and, and Grealish, as you just said. But there's people there that I reckon that it's Conor Cody. He's been fantastic in the training, you know, looking after the players and training and getting a smile on people's faces. And that's all I see nowadays, that England are a happy squad. But there's nothing to make more happy than winning all the games. And that's what England are doing. Uh, that's why they're a happy squad. We've got to find out what happens if you go with gold. Then we'll know whether he's a good manager or a lucky manager. OK, so th I think the answer that you were giving me, and you were being very, very canny the way you did that, Eric. Don't, don't worry, I did pick it up. 
I mean, it's basically you didn't give me a yes or no. You you gave me. We'll we'll have to wait and see. So, <laughs> well done. Um, I think if you if you push me, I think he's a lucky manager. Okay, let me go to the Ukraine game because uh, this is the one that's fresh in my mind now. Obviously, um, you know, I was a really I was cheesed off after the Scotland game. That really did nothing for me. I didn't think the other games did much for me either. But they, I mean, it's a difficult sort of part of the competition isn't it when you've got to get through and and everything but um the game against the ukraine now picking out one or two players um sterling of course i think he hasn't played as well as he should be playing i think he's a look i think he's a brilliant footballer i forget all the other things that he's been involved in because i think you know all that really adds up to letting people see things which they shouldn't be seeing. I think he's a good footballer, so there's the first thing. Now, um, I think he hasn't been running at defences the way that I saw a little bit of when he played Ukraine. I mean, he, he can do it, and he's a very... Because don't forget, he played for us, and he played for your team. He plays for your team. So, I mean, we do know the player very well, and he he hasn't performed to my mind, as well as I think he can play. Do you get that feeling with him, or do you, are you satisfied with the way he's been playing? Well, if you look at his record in the last so, so many games, how many goals he scored, he's been England's most consistent player. And that is the reason why Southgate picked him. Because for Man City towards the end of the season, he was playing bobbins, you know, and he, he'd never shown up anything. Um, Southgate said, oh, I always pick players on form. That is the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard a manager to say. He doesn't pick players on form. Because if he picked players on form, he'd have dropped Harry Kane after two matches. You know what I mean? OK, well, look. He had one shot goal in two games. You've mentioned the player mm -hmm. that I have to say I was terribly disappointed with because, you know, he can be a great player. He can be a fantastic player. But, of course... The media comes into play and you get all this talk about how much he's going to be playing for, how, whether he goes to Manchester City or Manchester United or does he go to Real Madrid. Um, you, you know, the trouble is that probably these lads are reading newspapers and they're beginning to believe their own publicity, aren't they, some of them? Yeah, well, I mean, when we're talking about the England team and everything, uh, I mean, at the moment now you see Kane is now nailed on. If he hadn't got that goal, you know, I'd like to know what would have happened. Because the poor uh, the Everton lad, uh, Calvin Lewin, he might even had a look in, you know. He's, yeah. He's, uh, I don't know. And, and, you know, he was on standby kind of thing. But as I said before, he said he picks players on form. Well, he doesn't because that's a load of nonsense. And as I've said to you, Barry Kane would have been well left out of the team after two matches and put a new lad in yeah. and fresh face. But because... Because he is a, one of his mainstays. And like with Sterling, he's never letting down and he's been the England manager. And that's why I stay loyal to him. So that, goes, that, goes, him say, that goes back to my question, you see. Are, are we really underestimating Southgate? Because, I mean, basically, let's be honest about it, most of us remember him for missing the penalty in the, uh, in the big tournament, having the bag over his head, making a few bob from the advert. Um, he, he doesn't really endear you as a likeable man. And it's a shame because this is the media and we get to see things that maybe is not the real Gareth Southgate. I mean, he might be a... It, it probably is. He's a really nice guy. But because he does... He comes over as a cold man to me, doesn't he? Does he to you? Well, he don't excite you, put it that way. I think that's what he's <laughs> trying to say. He's, uh, he's kind of one of them blokes with, like, deadpan face, you know, and like a poker face all the yeah. time. Whereas we've had other managers who have been a bit... <laughs> how can I put it? Some managers have been absolutely ridiculous, but other managers have been good. I mean, I just wish... I mean, it's a, a big wish... But Teddy Venables was in charge of this England team now. I really do. Because you'd see a different England team on the back. Whether we'd win the tournament or not, I don't know. Whether we'd be conceding goals, I don't know. But I do know one thing. Teddy Venables, with all that talent in front of him now, he would just relish it. You know, it, I'm, I'm convinced it would be a different side, you'd say. There wouldn't be too many midfield playing defensive. That's the stars. Yeah. You know, and, uh, that's, and when you talk about managers, somebody like Teddy Venables who... 
did have a lot of baggage because we all know what it's like. Teddy was a cockney sparrow, wasn't he? You know, he's one of them, like, a bit like Harry Redknapp, you know, where you think you come on and you like, chat the lad kind of thing, and, and Teddy Venables was like that. And I just wish we, and going back to what you said about getting the self care, I mean, he is deadpan and he <laughs> don't make sighting, but somebody like Teddy Venables would come on and talk about the game and it'd be brilliant. But, uh, that's only my I mean, Gareth, Gareth like Southgate would have made a great royal uh, in a, in one of the royal documentaries or something. That's that's how he looks, you know. But it's it's a shame because I was with this uh, group. Yeah, I know you you're always with football people. I'm not always with football people. Um, you know, sometimes I'm I'm watching the game quietly with my wife Anne uh, because basically we do enjoy the game and sometimes. I do enjoy and prefer it that way. But we were with some really, really noisy guys, uh, a couple of Manchester United fans, um, Aston Villa fans. And uh, what really impressed me was how passionate these people are about A, their clubs, and B, the the national team. I mean, you know, I tend to be a little bit torn between Spain and England these days because obviously we live here I love to see Spanish people happy. When they're happy, you know, they show it and they express themselves and, and it's nice to be with them. Um, it's the same as, uh, I think, probably in a lighter way, the English people do that, but then they all go and get too drunk and, you know, they spoil the party for me a little bit, you know, because it's just a shame. You, you know, the um, the Spanish people do seem to... No, there's a little point when, you, when you've had a lot of alcohol and it's probably better to lay back a bit. The Brits don't seem to do that, do they? No, they just drink on. <laughs> I can understand the point of view. I've done it myself many a time. But uh, in Spain, I mean, I hope it's a Spain-England final. Uh, not because I think the best team I've seen in a competition is Italy. Make no mistake about that. Yeah. That's my opinion. But I do hope it's a Spain-England final because it'd be great, not only for us being over here in Spain, us expats and all that, because you do mix well with the Spanish, don't we? Most they do. Really, They're lovely. They? I, I mean, I've, I've had this guy come around this morning, Nacho, who's, who's fixed the, uh, the internet up. And, uh, you know, Nacho is short for Ignatius. And as you know, I, I do this yeah. ca- cabaret, Father Ignatius. And, and <laughs> we had a little laugh. He saw the poster and then he realised what I was trying to tell him. And we had a really good laugh, you know. And yeah. th- th- then the guy in the office, um, I didn't know. I guessed he might have been disabled. Um, just, I don't know, something about his speech. But when I went to see him in the office, he is a disabled guy. But what a lovely, lovely man, you know. And um, I, I really enjoy trying to get to know these people the same as, obviously, when we meet nice English people, nice anybody people. It's just a pleasure to be with certain people. And um, I've been going to this little bar, which is not far from where the studio is now. And it's run by a lovely family. And in the family, the Guardia Seville. Uh, so the Guardia Seville pop in to see the game. Um, the, the Guardia Civil, who, who a lot of people only see the, the bad side, the tough side. Uh, but when you see the Guardia Civil comes into the bar and uh, gives his son a nice kiss on the cheek and they, they both sit and have a pint and watch the game, you know, you get a perspective as, as to, um, you know, that we, we are policed by consent no matter where we go. And if these guys... Um, are treated correctly and we give them, you know, the, the, the cooperation, life should be better for all of us, shouldn't it, really? And it's just um, little things like that. And, you know, I want Spain and, and Britain to get, and England, of course, uh, to get closer to each other, do trade deals, get all the tourists back, let's get all everything going again. I mean, you know how I feel about the whole setup of what's been going on. Um, and, and, you know, life is too short for us all to waste it. I don't know about you. It crosses my mind that we're told all the time about this global warming. Well, I mean, talk about global warming. We've had this cleanup now for a year and um, it seems to be hotter than hell, this this current um, couple of weeks that we're enjoying. Um, getting back to the football, um, did you see this? Well, no, we were only talking about the England side. I was going to ask you about Harry Maguire because... I thought he had a better game uh, with the Ukraine game in mind. Um, obviously, he scored a goal, which is always going to help his confidence. Um, but he did seem to get—he um, seemed to be 
a little bit more confident to me. What did you think? Well, if you remember, Gareth uh, Southgate before, he was saying that we weren't making good use of our set pieces, you know. And obviously that was a set piece with uh, Adam Maguire and then the other goal, which is a good cross as well. I mean, uh, Sean had a good game at left-back, I thought, for England. And uh, obviously assisted on two goals. But uh, set pieces is where England have been letting down this year. But you've got to remember, England had the best set piece player in the country in the world flowers from Southampton and he sent him home, you know, I mean, if we wanted to concentrate more on free kicks, I mean, you reckon now that the lad who will be taking the free kicks if he plays tomorrow night would be the, the lad from Tottenham, uh, who's at Atletico Madrid now, um, forget his name, just for fun, but, you know, he's supposed to be taking the free kicks now, but I don't know, this is what you were talking before about whether he's a good manager or a lucky manager, <laughs> because... You know, you wouldn't send your best set-piece player at home and then comment one day, well, our set-pieces are not good enough, you know. And I, I thought to myself, well, why did you send him home? It, it doesn't matter if he's there, you can always put him on. You don't have to be picking the best 11, but you can always put him on in the second half or something like that. But Yeah, let's have, have a word... Say it's a fun let's have a word about Jordan Pickford. Sorry, you know, Eric, I, I cut across. The other thing which nobody's mentioned... The press or anybody even give him a mention. But John Stones has been imperious at the back. He's done absolutely everything great. Even when Maguire wasn't there for the first two games, him and the other lad, uh, Declan Rice, who were brilliant at the back, you know, and mm. they don't get a mention. But John Stones very rarely gets a mention. Yet he's there every game. He's played every game, every minute, and he's been fantastic. And I'm just a bit annoyed the fact that nobody's given him any praise. All they're going on about is. Maguire this, Maguire that. He's only he's a captain, he's a leader. Well, where was he for the first two games? You know, I, yeah. I don't know. It just yeah. maybe I'm, I'm just on a bit of a downer with England. It's just I'm so disappointed that they haven't gone out and played attacking football. That's my big problem. <laughs> I know we booked four past few trains, but I mean, let's really face it. I, I don't think we're that good personally. I thought um, De goes. Declan Rice had a good game, didn't he? He's not, not let England down. He's another one of our unsung heroes. Well, you do praise him a lot. He's getting a lot of uh, publicity, Declan Rice. And his best mate, you know, uh, the other Mason Mount. And uh, they're kind of best of pals that grown up together. They were both at uh, West Ham ages ago, or both at Chelsea. Yeah. And they're both good mates over years. And they've always kept in touch with one another. And in a way, it's nice to see them both there in midfield. But I, I'm a great believer you don't need two midfield players to be defensive-minded. You're better off having two attacking midfield players and one defensive midfield. And in this case, I would say it'd be, it would be the lad from West Ham because they've uh, done a good job, last, I think. Yeah. But the other lad's played well. I can't knock in the leads of that. He, he's played well and he's done his job and played his part in the team. But, as I say, if I was picking the team, you'd be the, I don't think you'd have been in it, I'll be quite honest with you. What about, um, look, just, just as an aside, I'm thinking of his haircut now because, you know, it must be really oh. difficult to play football and balance a bun on your head like that. I mean, really, Southgate, um, uh, what's his name? The, uh, the, the Welsh lad's the same, isn't he? Uh, Gareth Bale. I mean, you know, wouldn't you think that they yeah. uh, they must must affect the way they run and everything to have a little bun on the Because you never, you never see really that many people wearing a bun um, to play football. I mean, I, all my life, I don't think I've ever played with anybody with a bun on his head. <laughs> well, mind. I think uh, <laughs> I'm out very old-fashioned with my football haircuts. Yes. I like proper haircuts. I mean, fair play to uh, really cheese. His hair was very good. Uh, there's a few of the England players who have decent haircuts. But well, that one, like you say, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Different, didn't it? The first one who had the buns was a bloke at Notts Forest. I can't remember his name, he's a centre forward. He looks a right mess. And, you know, ever since then, no disrespect to the, the lads who come into the team who are, are not English type thing. Uh, when yeah. they're not English, they might be different nationality yeah. where they were born, but not English, but they can play for England. Well, uh, the first. Come with all these silly the first one I remember with, with the bun on the back of the head was olive oil. Do you remember olive oil? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was Grand Grandma Clampett was the other one as well. So you know that's the tradition for me with those hairstyles. Anyway, they don't uh, like footballers, though, do they? They, they, they don't. don't. 
They I don't. Like to see a footballer who looks clean cut and not in a very old fashioned. Well, that's what I like to see by football. Yeah. Um, I, I know that when the Beatles come along and George Best, he started having his hair long. And that was the, the, the Beatles time, wasn't it? And uh, I can remember that. Well, I, now it's all turned up into people have bums and that, you just said. Uh, I can't say. I can't really say. I can't say too much because I've, I've got a press cutting of uh, me playing against Rod Stewart, and uh, I've got my hair just like Rod Stewart had his hair. So I can't really be too critical. I'm. I'm I am actually talking tongue in cheek. I'll go for a second to go Jordan Pickford because um, he played very well. I think uh, a couple of really good saves in the German game. But one thing he did do against Ukraine, which was outstandingly bad, he came out to make a clearance. And um, I, I remember when somebody scored a goal from the halfway line, uh, what, I think it was our goalkeeper, I think it was a Liverpool goalkeeper, did something very similar. And I thought Jordan Pickford was very lucky to get away with that. Um, but in a general sense, I think he's having a good tournament, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, my own honest opinion, I think the best goalkeeper last year in England was uh, Johnson from West Brom. And he did get a little bit of a <laughs> game for England in that there was warm-up games, I think, the two warm-up games. And I think he's the best keeper of the lot. But going back to what I said earlier, he's very loyal to the players who's not letting down. Although Pickford's not had a good season ever, in my opinion, I reckon he's, if it's out of score out of 10, he's got six for last season. And... Uh, but with England, he, he likes him and he's happy with him. So when you're a manager, the most important thing is get yourself a good centre-half, a good goalkeeper and a good centre-forward. And that's the key to being a successful team, I think. So he, he's happy with him, so good luck to him. OK. Uh, as it's relevant, you've just mentioned uh, the fact that Jordan Pickford didn't have the best of seasons with Everton. Um, a rather strange one, of course, is the appointment of Rafa Benitez, uh, who did so well with uh, Liverpool. I know for many, many uh, of the years in between, other people have been telling me he hasn't sold his property on Wirral, so therefore he always wanted to go back to Merseyside. Um, I am an admirer of his work. I've got to say, I think you told me once there was something that you didn't like about him. Um, but what do you think of, uh, first of all, the man, and then what do you think about his uh, moving from the red side of Liverpool? And I'll quickly tell you that I've got two front gates. One is the red uh, key, which is Anfield, and the other one is blue. It's Goodison Park. So uh, take it from there. What do you think of his appointment? Well, from Everton's point of view, I mean, they've had so many managers recently. It's been a kind of a swing, uh, sliding door. Thing, it? You know, they, they have been hit hard by Anzalotti going because I think they were putting all their faith in Anzalotti being able to turn the club down. But because Real Madrid came knocking on the door, off he went to Real Madrid. Fair enough, that's up to him. But he's left Everton in a bit of a mess. But they have turned to somebody who knows what Merseyside is all about. Benitez has got a good record at Anfield. Uh, I wasn't very keen on him when he played the, when he was manager of Newcastle. It was too negative, uh, and I, I, I fear that unless he gets some new players in Everton, he might go the same way Everton, play negative football. But, you know, he, he is a good manager. Uh, they, in fact, they always used to call him a Spanish waiter, didn't they? That's what they called <laughs> yes. A Spanish waiter. But uh, he, 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 he talks a good game, and he's got a good record overall. He's been to a lot of different countries, speaks the languages of different countries. And uh, the only trouble what's letting down has come back to bite him under bum is the fact that he called Everton a small club. And that was bad news, that. Because the Everton supporters will never forgive him for that. Well, and of that's course, what he's got to overcome. That's, that's, of course, mm -hmm. a target for him now to make him into a great club because they've been on the cusp. Let's, let's, let's put Everton in perspective. I mean, they were one of the earliest uh, founders of the Football League. I think they were in the original setup. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they obviously were the team in Liverpool um, because obviously when Liverpool were with them, 
um, you know, there was there was this thing between the two teams, and eventually they broke away and started their own team. Uh, but I mean, in between uh, just a park, you've got two football stadia, uh, which which is really really a great thing. It's like in Liverpool, we've got the a street between the Anglican Cathedral and the Metropolitan Cathedral. They, they have the, um, the streets called Hope Street, and it's just a wonderful part of the culture of Liverpool. You know, the Catholics and the Protestants getting together and, you know, all that sort of stuff stopping. And, you know, I think I told you my dad was a big Everton fan, and I started life as an Everton fan. And then when Everton sacked um, Johnny Curry in a taxi on the way to the match... My dad took umbrage and he said, I'm never going to su support them again. And um, my uncle stepped in and he said, come on, we're going to take you across to Anfield. Uh, and the rest is history. So, I mean, really, they, um, they have a great, great tradition. I know when I was on Radio Merseyside, Billy Butler was always very much the Everton man. And I tried to sort of put a perspective on it by being a Liverpool fan. Um, but... Great two, two great teams. It's like your two teams in Manchester. I mean, come on. We've got four of the greatest teams in the world. We are so lucky to have, uh, even, even if we see it as a rivalry, we are lucky. And um, I think I'm right in thinking that uh, Manchester City seem to do quite well from time to time with their forays down to Everton or Liverpool um, in a social sense as well. I mean, there's... There's this business of trying to make this animosity, which the press always come up with. I don't feel anything other than, look, there's two great teams in Manchester and there's two great teams in Liverpool. So, you know, that's how I feel about it. Um, I mean, they are great, great teams, four great teams. Aren't, well, aren't we lucky, Eric, when you think about it? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, a friend of mine many years ago, going back to the George Best days and Mike Summerby days, they were best of the mates, those two. And uh, he said to me, my mate, he's a United fan, he said we should em embellish with the fact that we've got the best players now in Manchester, both clubs. Because at the time, City had Bellevue, Somerby, Young and uh, Coleman, United had best, Charlton Law. You know, we had so much talent in, the, in those days. And my mate, being a United fan, I'm, I'm not a big fan of United fans, you know, but my mate, most of my mates are. United fans, and he just said we should enjoy this pleasure. You've just said the same thing about Everton and Liverpool. Well, I, I remember Everton when it was a great side. Everton they used to play some great football. What used to be the science one? What, what did you used to call it? Uh, I can't remember what you used to call it. Guys. It was when Howard Kendall was uh, there, wasn't it? The, uh, well, Howard yeah. Kendall, he, apart from being a good football manager, afterwards we finished playing because we had Alan Ball there. We, yeah, the, I mean, big Duncan Ferguson's still there, isn't he, on the, yep. on the management side? Yep. And he's great to see because he's Everton through and through, you know. Uh, well, I'm sure that he's... Well, again, you see... Um, and, uh, I, th I think I've told you in the past, I I'm, I'm, hope I'm not boring you again, but, you know, I, I was born not far from Trammy Rover's ground, um, so I used to run up with me little sixpence in me hand go into the boys' pen, and we had people like Tommy Eglinton, uh, we had people like, I can remember Lonnie Aniali, he, he was the very, I think he was one of the first, if not the first, black player to play in one of the English uh, football league teams. I think he was probably the first, and um, he's on the internet if you want to, you know, check him out. But anyway, I can remember, and nobody ever sort of, Nobody cackled or any of this stuff that's been going on today. Um, I mean, he was just an exciting player. And then, of course, we started getting some of the great Liverpool players, um, Ron Yates, of course. And, um, you know, I was very, very lucky because I actually played with a lot of these old um, Everton and Liverpool players in the showbiz team. And so not only was I very, very lucky to... Um, grow up watching them. I had a trial with them. Uh, I wasn't successful, but at the same time, I was chosen for the trial because I uh, scored a lot of goals in a shipping league um, and, and um, represented the, the shipping league. Uh, so, you know, um, I've got a, a mixture of everything in me, and I always try to, I try to see the best of everything because it's like people say to me, you know, I hate Manchester United. 
I say, come on, you don't, please don't say that. Because don't forget, when Manchester United lost those players after the, um, the air crash, all the teams, and Liverpool was one of the first teams to offer players to help them finish the season. And people forget these things, don't they? Exactly, yeah, you're quite right there. I mean, I, I, at the time of the Munich Air disaster, you know, as I've said to you many times, all my mates for United fans, it was a disaster, which was unbelievable. I mean, the blackness that come over Manchester at that time, whether you're the City fan or whatever fan, whatever team you support, it was terrible because everybody had friends. And In fact, the, where I worked, the girl in the office, uh, Jeff Bent was one of her uh, a cousins, you know, and... Uh, Never like, it's just a sad situation that. But like you say, a lot of people came to the help of Man United, and that, that, that's what makes me a little bit sad. You know, we just recently had the, the big six breaking away, yes. and leaving all these clubs behind. You've got very short memories these clubs. You know what? What United have, have done without other people helping them? They never got where they are now. You know, and, it, and now they're trying to get. Well, they tried the, the big six breakaway, didn't they? And it, it didn't come off, thank God for that. But it forgot about what people, and I've, I've said so many times, you've got to remember, Kingston Stanley started the football league along with the other six or seven clubs. And if it weren't for teams like Accrington Stanley, all those teams at the bottom, there'd been all these big teams at the top, no City, United, nothing, without them clubs getting it going in the first place. And, and I always look back, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I can look back and say I can remember, well, not that far back, but so personally, but I, I always respect all them smaller clubs and I look forward to them all doing well and climbing the league, getting back into good time, particularly next year when hopefully we get the crowds back and the people locally will support the club. I've been not at it there for a long time and they, they will come back and I just hope that will happen. Well, I remember during the uh, the, the last season's Cup matches, um, Tottenham Hotspur went to a team called Marine and uh, Marine, yeah. we used to have a player in the showbiz team who used to play for Marine called um, Derek McClatchy. And I never understood why this lad never, ever hit the very top. He was just absolutely a, a great player for me. Um, but, I mean, it's like when you go to Marine and Ellesmere Port and, you know, then if you look at, I, I see Trammy Rovers on the TV and, you know, um, I've actually got a little bit of a project which Rob, uh, Rob Daniels, who you know through uh, Onda Thero and our work together, uh, Rob's going to get this lad involved with, uh, he's a Spanish lad, and he knows all about the lower teams, Eric. It's going to be really interesting to see how much he does know because he loves the, the British uh, Championship, the English Championship. And, um, you know, uh, it'll be just really interesting for me to, to start that project, which I hope to start very shortly. So I'll keep you in the picture on that one. Uh, also, while we're yeah. talking about this, Eric, I've got to say, um, there's a lot of people who may be listening into this podcast, especially people who haven't been here that long, uh, will forget that Eric Malpas has been running a fantasy football for the Costa Blanca for the best part of 25 years, is it, Eric, or something? 27 actually, 28 next year. I mean, it's brilliant, Eric, what you've done. I've, I mean, I've seen you going around town, going in, chatting to the people, getting the bars interested, getting the prizes. I've been to a couple of the prize-giving days. I remember, you yeah, know, when yeah. we went to um, uh, do some great things. And I remember you bringing uh, Mike Summerby. And uh, who, who came with Mike Summerby? There was somebody else that came along from Norman Manchester Whiteside. United. Norman Whiteside, you're right. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you, more than a lot of people on the Costa Blanca, have brought things to a lot of people that have brought great happiness. We've had some great nights. I can even remember when Bob the Cat Bevan was really rude to me because basically uh, I was feeding him all the nice information for his um, for his comedy spot, and his comedy was crap. But so he turned on. <laughs> me and started you know dishing out the dirt on what I'd been telling him which was not very nice and I was really upset about that but I mean the, those are the sort of memories you've got to have good memories and bad memories and I remember some great times that we put together um, and I remember first of all Hugh Stewart's giving me a, a, a tape and saying you know he wants me to put this on and 
you were then going on about the uh, Fantasy Football League. And I said to you, well, wh who is Eric? And then we met up and <laughs> we've been friends ever since. I mean, it's been, we've had some lovely times together, Eric, haven't we? Yeah, well, talking about them after dinner, the best one for me was when Paul Melba and Aidan J. Harvey yeah. and Wolf McGuinness, it was a fantastic show. Yes. They were brilliant. In fact, I was sat obviously next to Wolf McGuinness at this time. I said, God, have I got to follow them too? You know, because you were brilliant, Paul. You know, they both do impressions and <laughs> they were both fantastic on the night. And it's I can't follow them. So of course you can, but he was absolutely brilliant, Wolf McGuinness. He was so funny as well. It was certainly the best night we've had regards to the stars, you know, make you know, having a good after dinner speaker. And, and Paul Melbourne, he could jump to that last minute, if you remember. Forget who dropped out. He came and helped us out with the last minute, Paul yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. I know he was a good friend of yours at the time. And uh, he was uh, he was great. But, uh, you know, over the years, he, you, like you just said, you make good friends and the things, what you bring to the area or things like that. I mean, I don't know if it was last Friday we had the presentation of last year's Fantasy League and, uh, and Mark Carter's been involved with us for a long time now. He kind of sponsors our ladies section and he, he came down last Friday and he was going to Rome and he'd been picked up at us, right? so I had to get him on early to present his trophy to this young lady and uh, off he went to her home to watch England play and uh, <laughs> you know, everybody there clapped him when he went, you know, as he was going. Oh, so he, all the best, you know, and all that. He, it was a brilliant, about 30, 40 people there. It was really good. Smashing day out, you know. Lovely. Well, look, Eric. Things which happened. I wanted, I wanted to make sure we, we, we did drop you in because maybe this is something you and I and a few others might start developing again over the next couple of years because, you know, we, we did have some really wonderful things and I've got a new area to look at and I'll make some good contacts and who knows where it's going to go. Let me quickly ask you while it's in my mind. Patrick Vieira just been appointed the manager of Crystal Palace. Now, there was a great programme on the TV. I, I caught it a couple of uh, weeks ago, and it was Patrick Vieira and uh, Roy Keane, and they called it the best of enemies. And honestly, they really had some funny, funny things that they were remembered together. It was a great, great programme. Um, great, great rivalry between two really good footballers. What do you think of that appointment for Crystal Palace? Well, I always had it in the back of my mind that he would become the next manager of Manchester City when Pep Guardiola goes. I've always thought of that because, it, like, like City, were grooming him at the time. He'd just finished playing for City and he put him in charge of the, the one of the young teams, the youth teams, and he was building it up slowly but surely. And obviously learning off the master, uh, Pep. And, uh, I always thought that would happen. And then Man City switched into America to be in charge of New York City. And then obviously he'd been there for a bit. I didn't have a great deal of success because I'm not that sure about American football how to rate it. And then he's moved back to Italy, then back to Italy to France. And I think he'd been managing the team over there. And they've just finished. I think the highest finish he had was about fifth. And I think last year he finished about halfway. But uh, on his managerial career, he's still very young. And he's a bit like Arteta at Arsenal, you know what I mean? They're both good footballers and they both know the game. It's just a matter of what tools they've got to work with, you know. Have they got good enough players at Crystal Palace? Are uh, Arsenal going to be good enough with, with the players? I think they've got the right manager in both places, but it can only work with what you've got. And, uh, and going back to what he said before, when I said he was too defensive at Newcastle, but he made the best of what he had, and he pulled Newcastle out of his tripe at the time, you know what I mean? Uh, you've just got to make the best of what you've got. And, uh, I was like for Pep and, and even Solskjaer, all these... And Klopp, you've all got the money and you've got the players. And it makes a big difference if you've got to work on small budgets and things like that, which makes people like Sean Dykes at Burnley look really good. But, but I don't know whether he'd be able to manage a big club. You don't know until so it happens there. Yeah. I mean, the more that you see what's gone on over the last two years, um, you know, it has been very difficult for so many people. Um, I'm going to get you back in focus now just to give me a prediction, and I'll do the same with you. Um, so, uh, Italy and Spain. I think it'll be a draw. It goes to extra time, and I think Italy will win on penalties. But I hope Spain will really do hope Spain. Definitely. 
Okay, well, look, I have to agree with you. I do think it will be Italy. Uh, I don't necessarily think it'll be penalties, um, but uh, like you, I really do hope that I'm wrong because I'd love Spain to do well. Uh, whilst we're thinking of it, uh, I mean, what about that penalty shootout the other day? I mean, was that not the weirdest, oh. most uh, exciting penalty shootout uh, when Spain went through? What, what did you think of that one? Yeah, well... I didn't think it was that many good penalties, was it? If that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, but they got through. Uh, what about the other game? What Spain played when he won 5 3? Uh, it was 3 all at, at normal time. Yeah. And that went into extra time and he just pulled it out of the bag. So, I mean, so, uh, the, the, they're not. Uh... Spain need a centre forward, Spain, don't they? That, yes. That's why, if you just had to, I mean, maybe Torres, who plays the Man City, might just be the man to tip the scales tonight. Well, whether he'll pick him at the beginning, I'm not quite sure, because he needs to have a habit coming on and scoring. OK, um, well, look, um, we've got to do this in case we, we run out of time. I've got 10 minutes left, Eric. Um, so we've got uh, Denmark, um, who, of course, they started off by... Well, we're going back now to the uh, to knockout stages. Denmark, of course, hammered Wales 4-0. Uh, were Wales that bad or were, was Denmark that good? I think that's another case like uh, with the England game last week. You know, were Ukraine that bad and England that good and vice versa, this situation? Uh, the long good thing from uh, Denmark's spot, I think that was their first win because I think they lost the first two games, if I'm not mistaken. And then they were unlucky to lose to Belgium because they played some of the best football in the tournament when they played Belgium in the first half. But if you remember in the second half, they brought the Bruyne on and it made all the differences. Not only did he score a goal, he made one, then he won 3 1 Belgium. So uh, it's going to be difficult to judge in Denmark because I'll be truthful, I know a few of the players, obviously, we all know Casper Smeichel is a cracking goalkeeper. Yeah. No argument about that. He, he's one of the best in the country for me. And, uh, and he's a good that half he plays for Chelsea Christiansen. Uh, the one I don't know much about is uh, Delaney. I, don't know where he comes from, what country he plays for. Sounds like Irish, doesn't it? But, uh, <laughs> That's exactly what was going through mind. <laughs> my, my mind was exactly <laughs> the same there. Um, okay, so, well, look, put you, I'm going to put us both on the spot. So, England, Denmark, what do we think? It's got to be in a win for England. 60,000 people shouting on. If they can't beat Denmark in your own country, in your own backyard, it's hard to pack in. If it was a final, it might be different because you get a shared amount of people in the ground, I would imagine, even though the pandemic's on. Allowing 60,000 people in, I wouldn't imagine there'd be many Danish people unless these people who live in the London area, you know, who could go and get a ticket. So, if you can't win now, they'll never win. You know, only 60,000 behind you tomorrow night. Uh, it'd be such a shock if you don't beat them back. But we don't know football, never won on paper, never won by the crowd, although it has made a big difference this year, hasn't it? It has. I enjoyed watching Hungary play early on in the competition. Oh, yes. When they, they played Italy, you know, yeah. like that. I thought it was brilliant, you know. Yeah. But they had, I think their crowd was about 80,000 there was around it. Well, it, uh, look, we... Ready. We couldn't really sort of... You can't come to grips with what's, what it's been like with the crowds because, you know, it's not it's not been a, a, a um, equal playing field all the way through, has it? It's been very strange. Um, OK, so what score do you think England will win? I think England will win 2-0. OK, well, I'm going to think that it'll be a draw and England should win on penalties. Uh, sponsored wow. sponsored handbags and uh, special bags <laughs> for anybody who misses yeah. by Gareth Southgate. Um, okay, <laughs> just a, a little sour note that I wanted to just ask your opinion on. When I saw Belgium, uh, they were playing. Uh, was it France? I can't remember who they were playing now, but uh, Portugal, I think it was. Um, they seemed to be almost a number of tackles that seem to be trying to uh, tread on somebody's Achilles heel. Now, did you... It was Belgium-Portugal. I think this was the worst game that I saw this in. Uh, I was very disappointed because it looks to me as if the, the players are almost being trained 
to use that as a tactic, and I thought that was horrible. What did you think? Uh, did you catch anything like that, or has it crossed your mind? It's funny that you should mention that, because I've been saying to my mate, fellow City fan, I said, I've noticed one thing, that when De Bruyne has played, he's being targeted every time. Yes. And he's had this socket, fractured socket, I think. He's also had this injury now, which he's got. I've noticed that they've been giving him a hard time. He's a big, strong lad that he can look after himself, but sometimes there's not a lot he can do. But there have been a few bad tackles. Uh, fortunately, I think, I, I, you know me, I call referees terrible. But I think referees have been pretty good in the competition, personally. I think they've been very good. Well, uh, funny enough, uh, I, I was thinking also, um, the VAR hasn't been as controversial. Now, I think I picked it up in an article I read that they've got different, I think they've got four VAR officials, but there weren't that many obviously bad mistakes that they've made. Although what I am picking up all the time, Eric, which I'm pretty sure you must have done as well, it's almost like rugby tacklings are being ignored. And when you see in the box with uh, a defender with his arms wrapped around the attacker or vice versa, um, I mean, I didn't think football was supposed to be, le be like that. I mean, obviously, uh, you, you've got a competitive aspect, of course. But I did think some of the refereeing could have been a little bit more ape. One of them, any more of that, and you're off, or a yellow card straight away. You know, but they're not they're not strong enough. The referees, they don't seem to be able to pick it up. Although I've got to say, I thought Michael Oliver did very well in the match the other night. Uh, I thought, um, which game was that? Now it was about two or three games back. I thought he played very very well yeah. as a referee. Okay. Yeah, I think the uh, you, you you've got to remember nowadays uh, when it's a corner. The defenders are coached to block people from running in and heading the ball. Now that's half of the reason they're getting tangled up. They're not looking at the ball, they're looking at the man and kind of just obstructing him. Now the way to stop that is for the referees to do what you just said, is to give a penalty or give, give something one way or the other, whoever's doing yep. you know, the pushing and shoving. Sometimes it's six of one and half a dozen of the other and I understand that and it's difficult for the ref to decide. But sooner or later and I hope next season we will get somebody brave enough to start giving penalties. Somebody said, what are we about six penalties again? I said, well, so what if there's six penalties? It's six penalties, isn't it? You know what yeah. I mean? It don't make any difference. It's a penalty. It's a penalty. Just because it said there's six penalties in one game, if the penalties, it should be given. Exactly. Yeah, I think so another another thing, Eric, another thing that I've picked up, which uh, I think you'll have an answer to, um, is, you know, this zone football, the idea that, you know, you, your winger yeah. makes a great break and then cuts the ball back to a certain zone. Now, time and yeah. time again, it's almost as if the players don't look to see, is any anybody from my team anywhere near me? Because... You know, yeah. you see a fabulous bit of football and you think, oh, that's great, well done. And then it goes nowhere because they've put the ball into a place where two or three defenders can clear it from. Yeah, we, we have that problem at Man City a number of times. I mean, Carl Walker gets down the right flank and gets the byline. And that, the fact is he just hits it across. But when you get uh, Mahrez in that situation, Mahrez is more of a player who looks to pass to somebody. And, uh, you know, that's a big difference. Other players who are footballers, nine times out of ten, David Silver when he played, he was at the byline. He'd look up and try and find Aguero or whoever it was they were pulling the ball back to. But a lot of them just get there and hit the ball across, which I suppose is what they taught to do. You know, you get to the byline, hit it hard and low, it could be own goal, it could be anything. So I think that's just the tactics that uh, a lot of teams use. But the, the good footballers, nine times out of ten, try to look for somebody, and even though he might get caught and not get the crossing, at least he's got the red up and looking for somebody, whereas other ones just get the red down and smack it across. I love it when, you know, uh, a, a good player goes down the wing, puts the ball into the centre, and it up comes one of the central defenders, like the Maguire goal the other night, like the Henderson goal the other night as well. Um, you know, they're great moments in the game, and you really feel that uh, the team is knitting together and they're on the same wavelength. I have to say, Eric, I think in a general sense, we've had some great, great football. Um, I think it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, 
Uh, we've got about uh, one minute left. Is there anything else that's crossed your mind you'd like to talk about? Oh. It's well worth mentioning the fact that Tottenham have finally got themselves a manager. And I like him, the lad who's been at Wolves. Smashing, smashing. He seems a nice bloke, I don't know, might be wrong. But uh, whether they'll be able to turn Tottenham around, I don't know. A lot depends on whether Harry Kane will be staying there or going. Because if he goes, they'll have some money to spend on some fresh players. If he stays, he might not have to make that many changes, other than maybe by a few defenders. But he's already got one of the lads who was at Wolves with him, uh, Doherty. Uh, and they, so he's got to start there. He'll know all about him. I just think he's a good manager, that lad. I thought he was going to go to Everton, tell you the truth. Mm. All right, Eric. Well, we'll leave it there. It's been wonderful catching up again. Uh, missed you last week and obviously look forward to next week. OK, Vince. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot.